The Dead Pair Podcast is brought to you by the Elite Experience Elite Shotguns and is fueled by Fioki. Oh! Welcome to the Dead Pair Podcast, coming in hot with everything you want to hear about sporting clays. Guy Fieri. How are you, gentlemen? Thanks for having me. Anthony Matteris Jr., how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Welcome back, David Redulbo. That's a net positive. <laughs> Brad Kidd. Corey Cruz. Thank you for joining us this evening. Now I feel awkward. With your hosts, Jason Rambo. One more Red Bull for you. And Sean Alley. Woo, yeah! It's Christmas. Let's do it! Often imitated, but never duplicated. It's the Dead Pair Podcast. And now, it's showtime. What's up, everyone? I'm Jason Rambo, and with me, my co-host... Soft kitty, warm kitty, little ball of fur. What in the and hell is that? Well, I was told I was being mean, so I was just trying to be nice. Oh, is that what that's all about? <laughs> yeah, Jason apparently got some hate mail yeah. about how, how mean he's treating me on the yeah, show. And he's you trying know, to. You poor thing, you. If everybody just knew what was said when these microphones are off, they would probably think I don't give you enough crap, you know? Okay. So, well, it's your story. You tell it, you No, know, it's not. It's not a story. That's all truth. But how are you, Mr. Alley? <laughs> Busy, man. It's really hard to believe that we are... It's September. Uh, yeah. I mean, what the heck, man? Yeah, I know. Where's tell this year gone? It's... I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Let's not go there, because then I'll just start remembering how old I am. Okay. All right. <laughs> but, um, man, lots to talk about tonight. Uh, of course, we have the Ohio State HOA champion, David Radulovich, joining us. Yep. And, of course, in-state champion, Bill Elliott, is yep. also going to join us. So, uh, going to be a, a packed night tonight. So, I don't want to waste too much time here uh, on the beginning. But, hey, we do have attorney talk to get to, don't we? It's Turney Talk. Brought to you by Score Chaser. All right, just two for you right now. We have the Ducks Unlimited Eastern Continental Shoot at Cross Creek Clays, now open for registration. This shoot is next year, May 1st through 5th, 2024. And then the uh, National Fee Task at Northbrook Sports Club next year, set for June 21st through the 23rd, now open for registration. 200 target fee task event. Uh, and this is the week before the World Feed Task. You going to either one of those, Sean? Um, boy, I don't know. Uh, they're both. T- I mean, I want to go to both of them, but y- yeah, just it's too far out. It's the barrel list. Yeah, it's the ultimate barrel list, dude. And there's no more buckets. We're we're our bucket runneth over. Yeah, the May the May date I know is probably going to be a negative for me. May is just a terrible time for me to get away. Uh, but maybe, just maybe, I can make it over to Northbrook uh, in June for that. That might be pretty cool. Well, don't forget, we're going to be in Northbrook in late July for the U.S. US Open. Open yeah, yeah. So, we'll, so we we shall see. Lot lots going on. Lots of moving parts. Um, hey, real quick, uh, very, thank you very much to our sponsors. Um, you guys know who they are: Elite Shotguns, Fioki USA, of course, Bear Pal, Atlas Traps, RE Ranger, Odo Pro Technologies, Rhino Chokes. White Flyer Targets, Vero Beach Clay Shooting, the ever-lovely Don Grant, and, of course, Score Chaser. Um, thank you very much to all of our sponsors. They help bring us these guests and these shows week in and week out. And, Sean, like I said, I do not want to dilly-dally too long because I just know that, well, we know how much David's going to talk, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, hey, let's start off with right here, near and dear to our hearts, Mr. Bill Elliott. The Dead Pair. 
Okay, man, that's been on the show before. It's been a while. Bill Elliott, how are we doing, Bill? Doing great, doing great, fellas. It's great to be back. Um, sounds like the show is rocking and rolling, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, absolutely. Current in-state Ohio State champion. Yeah, uh, big yes. Bill, this yes. has been this has been a long time coming for you, buddy. Um, talk about your prep coming into this event. I want to kind of jump right in here. Um, I know you probably, I know you well enough. You did a lot of training, a lot of preparation for this event. And I know what this event means to you. So can you, can you share a little bit of that with us? Yeah, definitely. One of the things in the last uh, year and a half, I've been working with coach Pat Litsky. And when I started working with Pat, it helped me understand when I thought that I was doing enough of, I actually wasn't doing enough of. There's so much that you can do on your own from the visualization side, from the journaling side that I just wasn't doing enough of. And he really, really helped me understand how much of an impact that can have on my game and just different type of drill work. I have, you know, probably nine or 10 different drills that I choose from when I go out to practice now, because let's say in general, I may get four or five hours of practice time a week. And so, you know, having the two little ones and owning a business, I have to be, I have to have proper intent when I go out to practice and understanding, you know, what it is that I want to accomplish for that day. So if I have an hour of practice, I have two menu options I can choose from, or if I have um, two and a half or three hours to practice, I know what I can do that day. So it was really narrowing down my practice time and then just my visualization time and my journaling time. Gotcha. Now, Bill, here's the thing. We know that you are a busy guy. You coach, um, you practice. Uh, you recently got your NSCA Level 3 certification. Was it last year? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, about two years ago, I think. About now. two years ago. So, I mean, you coach – you deal with a lot of different people, but you also get coaching from other pro shooters, big names in the sport. And so I guess the question I would have is, do you basically kind of, as a student, speaking as a student, you go to some of these other coaches. I know you've taken lessons with Anthony and several other big names. Are you able to implement what they're teaching you or do you kind of like pick and choose what works for you and you implement that into your own game plan? Well, I think of it, I think of it like this way. There are some players that are meant to play offensive line and there are some players that are meant to play, you know, wide receiver. And if you look at golf, like look at the top 20 golfers in the country, not one of them plays the game the same, just like in our sport. If you look at the top, there may be some similarities, but there's definitely a ton of differences. So one of the things, you know, I've taken lessons with Pat. I've taken lessons with Matt Hudeman, Wendell Cherry, Anthony Matteries, Don Curry, Bruce Schultz. I mean, you name it. Um, and there's always, there's no professional development for shooters and for coaches in our game, just like there is professional development in the construction trades or there's professional development for teachers out there. So the best way to get professional development as a coach is to spend a couple thousand dollars and go take a lesson with a top coach and if, it, if you learn something that you can implement in your game, great. But there's also things that you can implement in your coaching because there, there are no textbooks. I mean, well, Anthony came out with something, Don Curry has a, a strong book, but there really is no like one way to learn this game. So when you're dealing with human beings, you're trying to figure out, okay, if, if, 
if they're not approaching the target this way, well, here's an alternative approach Okay, that may work for the person. Well, and, and with that said, I guess another good question, you know, to, to kind of help our listeners out when you go to these specific, sorry, specific individuals, do you already have it in your mind what you're trying to glean from them or are you letting them kind of give you a lesson based on maybe some of the issues you're having or how do you, how do you tell them what you need to get out of their lesson? Well, the nice thing is I think once you find the right coach that you can work with, um, they're typically accessible and you can contact them maybe a little bit ahead of time and just tell them some of the things that you're experiencing. Um, is it mechanical? Is it technical? Is it emotional? Um, and then when you get there, you know, maybe you're addressing some of those things, but from that, something else will come, something else will come out and a good coach can address that. Okay. And I'm only guessing here just real quick. Um, it's always great to be in person and have somebody give you a lesson in person, but I'm sure that you're also making phone calls and, and talking things through when, when they have time available. Is that right? Definitely. Um, you know, I'll get a text from, from Pat, um, on a two day tournament or something, or, um, I'll randomly chat with him about something and he'll say, you didn't miss the target bill. You just didn't hit it. Or he'll say something like that. Quit saying it, you know? And so <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that, that, um, have being able to have those conversations with your coach versus just an instructor. It's just a one-off lesson. Um, I think that's really key to have. That's cool. And, th but, but, you know, like I have people that I coach all the time. Like for example, this week at Hillendale, one of my clients was like, Hey, Bill, I'm taking a lesson with John Woolley this week. I hope you're okay with that. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, experience um, another person's viewpoint, um, experience what they have to offer um, because, you know, there's, there's so much from a resource standpoint. Right. Right. And, and you know, Jason and I are already very familiar with you and your coaching here in Ohio and a lot of other Ohio shooters are, but for everybody else that's listening here, can you kind of give a, a brief explanation of what you coach and, and what you offer for students that would come to you for a lesson? Yeah, sure. I think the biggest thing is when someone comes to me for a lesson, I want to know their commitment level first, you know, how many days a week can you shoot? Um, what's your budget like for shooting? Uh, what are your goals for, for shooting? Do you, do you want to be a recreational shooter? Or do you want to, my goal is to hopefully create registered target addicts. I mean, once you get them breaking targets and feeling that success, I want them to buy into the NSCA. That's uh, the NSCA is our, um, it's our governing body and we want to support that organization and, you know, get as many people enrolled in the process as possible. Um, so once I find out their commitment level, because like one of the things that I tell people is for every person you add to your squad and practice. So if you're shooting with two people versus three people, you just took an hour away from your time. If you're, if you're um, practicing with one other person and you add that other person, you're taking away practice time from yourself. So you got to know, like, what does your week look like? What does your commitment level look like? Are you a guy who wants to go out and practice with, five guys and just shoot the course or do you want to practice with proper intent and i'm i'm really big on the pre-planning process i believe specific focus equals specific results if you don't have a plan it's hard to know where you're going so i'm really really big on the pre-shot planning process 
I don't believe there's a, there's a, um, I've heard people say, oh, you're thinking too much. And I'm like, no, I'm not thinking enough. I have no clue where the line of this target is. I have no clue um, where the best visual pickup point is for this target. I missed my pre-planning process. So I'm really big on that. Okay. Jason? Well, hey, Bill, so switching gears a little bit, um, you're not only a a resident champion now, but you're also um, on the board as a delegate for the Ohio State Sporting Clays Association. Given the size that our state shoot has grown to, what are your thoughts overall for the shoot competition? for the shoot compared to other state shoots. And, and I know there's a little bias there because we're all Buckeyes, right? But um, wh- I know you've traveled around quite a bit and st- shot some other state shoots. What What is your overall opinion? Man, I, I just think it's awesome right now. I think it's eyes forward. I've talked to people who are who belong to other state organizations, and they tell me, oh, we meet twice a year. And I'm like, twice a year? We meet monthly, and we're – we're constantly engaging with each other. We may debate a little bit, but our state shoot is, um, it's just picking up momentum and to see the numbers that we had this year, to see the payouts that we had this year. I thought I wasn't there on Friday, but I heard great things about the, um, charcuterie board. I thought Saturday night's event was awesome. I mean, yeah, there's always ways that we can grow the shoot and do things better and, I always say if, if you have ideas, like come to us or heck, get on the board. But um, I think we're I think we're seeing really strong momentum and I think next year it's gonna be even bigger. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. Um speaking of the event itself, what were some of the challenges you faced in the main? Was it you know, was it targets, was it staying focused? Can you kind of walk us through your weekend a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I I think the biggest challenge is learning to compete. I, you know, just the more you compete, um, I believe the, the, I don't want to say the easier it becomes because it doesn't, but the more you compete, the more you learn to deal with situations. For example, um, I know one time a couple years ago, I was down five targets in the first three stations and I ran the course out and won an HOA with a 95. Well, I believe you have to have those moments to trust your skill set. For example, uh, at the state shoot on the blue course, it was a very challenging course. And I had two stations where I dropped three targets, I think. And I had to remember, think process, Bill. This is, it's it's a mission-based mindset. It's a weekend Um, it's a, it's a three day mission and just focus on process, not outcomes, focus on process. And I'm a firm believer in emotional management, not necessarily what I would call mental management, because when I, when I think of mental, I think of schizophrenic, bipolar, mental disorders. Um, Mm -hmm. when I think of emotion, I think of oh man, I just broke three targets and now I want to break this freaking gun over my knee, but I can't. And that's what's going on inside of me emotionally. So I, I have to learn to manage those emotions. Right. And I think that's the that was the hardest thing about the state shoot was you shot the blue, I shot the blue course that first day, which I thought was really tough. And there were some targets I would like back, but it's all about process, not outcome. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree 100%. And it's what look, I already know your opinion, but just 
give every give our listeners your opinion. Um, Joe Skull, I thought, did a phenomenal job setting targets. Any complaints on your end? No, not at all. I, you know, the one thing I like about Joe is he's so approachable. Like, he's just a good dude. Um, he's fun to chat with. Um, I think he just, he likes to pickpocket on the course. And there's there's enough angle with off speed and distance that it can really throw you off for a target or two. Oh, yeah. Um, Have you noticed, too, he's, like, really good at throwing your timing off on a pair? Big like, time. You know I, what I mean? It's it's not like if you take those birds as individual birds, not a problem. But when you put them together, whether it's in a true pair or even how some of his reports were, he just completely throws your timing off. I, I totally agree. One of the things I always look for in on show birds is what is the line of latitude of the target? Is it down there? Is it out there? Or is it up there? And one of the things I noticed is if he's throwing a target that's up there, that's slow, he'd maybe try and throw you off on a target that's down there screaming or vice versa. So it was all about managing your gun, being able to manage your, your muzzle movement. Right. But I, I think, I think he does a great job and he's very fair. Well, Bill, you know, speaking of the Ohio state tournament, so not only, you know, are you a competitor? And I, I know you probably put quite a bit of weight on your shoulders, but you know, you're also a member of the OSCA. So you had a little bit of stress there just thinking about, Hey, I'm partly responsible for how this event's going. I mean, did that come into play with, you know, game day when you're out there actually busting birds or do you kind of, are you able to put that on the back burner? You know, I've been doing it now for a few years. Um, Jason, you saw how you've seen now how crazy it is. Um, oh, yeah. And Sean, welcome to the board, brother. Yeah, yeah. See too, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little bit of he's got a little bit of uh, self self motive behind asking this question. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, it's fun though. I mean, I, I think it kind of it's it's part of the whole event. It was this year was really cool. It was the first year my family, my whole family came with me, and. Um, I really enjoyed it and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more, but, um, with Christina and with Casey and with Jason and with you and with Sean and Jake and, um, Todd, we, we have an awesome board. Um, I think the board moving forward is going to be the best board. I really believe that. Um, I know Todd Kemmer, I met with him this weekend and he really laid out the groundwork on how the OSCA was started. It was so cool to hear that history and, you know, everything they put into it on the front end. So um, you just kind of manage it, Sean. And I, I think you'll manage it well being a business owner. You know the deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's all about compartmentalizing. Look, if you're on the course thinking about making a banner for somebody, you're probably yeah. not, I'm probably sunk already. You're right? probably sunk already, right? <laughs> so if you're and, and I don't and I'm saying this because I, I want I want to encourage everybody everywhere to be a participant in their state board. I think it's important. I mean, you know, my dad always told me you can't complain about something unless you think you got a way to fix it and then speak up about it, you know? And yeah. if you wanna if, if you're gonna sit back and complain and not go and see what's going on behind the scenes and 
you're, you're, you know. That's very well said. So, and I know both of you have probably gotten some feedback already from shooters that were there. Oh, yeah. Um, I would like to think you know, the majority of it was was positive, but I'm sure you always get a few squeaky wheels that, that need to be greased, right? Well, I mean, go ahead, Bill. I'll let you answer this. Yeah, well, what do they more. say? 95% of your problems are created by 5% of the population. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. But, you know, hats off to our, to our president, Christina Loudenslager. I mean, that was one of the things... You remember, Bill, she sent out a text message to all the board members like the day after. It's like, hey, look, I know we're not going to meet right away, but let's everybody jot down everything positive and everything negative and about the shoot and what can we do to make it right for next year. So she's already planning our next meeting and, uh, you know, everybody's got their notes and we're going to sit down and we're going to go person by person and, and go through each one of our notes. And uh, I think it's good, Bill. I think I think we did. As good of a job as we did, I think we can do it better next year, and I think we did a good job of analyzing what went wrong and what went right and what we can take away from it, don't you? I agree. I agree, and I, I can't wait till next year because it doesn't sound like we have any big shoots on top of ours. We already did a save the date. I mean, it, it's. I think it's only going to get bigger. Well, and the schedule looks like it falls right after the weekend of the U.S. Open from Chicago. <laughs> So it makes sense a lot of those shooters would maybe stick around the Midwest to head on over to the Ohio State shoot, doesn't it? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, Bill, I know you have some sponsors that are very proud of you, and I'm sure you'd like to thank some of them. You want to go ahead and give them a shout out? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I want to thank uh, Compass Self Storage, DNA Armory, Fiocchi, Negrini, RE Ranger, without any of them and the and obviously my wife (laughs) um uh you know just without their support and being able to be an ambassador for their brand none of this would be possible it's been almost four years now that i you know took the parachute off and took the leap of faith to go into this full bore and um i'm proud to represent them i'm proud to you know represent my last name and our family and um you know big shout out to my mom and dad because uh gosh without this none of the none of it would be possible and you know my my dad's probably my biggest fan he probably calls me every day and we talk about shooting and everything so um yeah i appreciate everybody i really do i appreciate all my clients i appreciate um, all the colleagues out there appreciate what you guys are doing. I mean, it's it's just awesome. Well, and Jason and I both know how much time you actually put in, Bill. It's pretty amazing with your schedule, working, coaching, uh, and then getting in enough practice to be competitive on such a high level. So hats off to you for being able to make yeah, it work. Sure. It didn't happen overnight. I mean, we've seen you over the last no, I, couple yeah. years just grind and grind and grind, and it's finally paid off. That's got to be such a, a great feeling. And And you guys, too. I mean – Look at your success. Look at everything you're doing. Look at um, look at when you first started and oh, where you've come. And <laughs> I remember the yeah. So I mean, it's uh, you both have families. You both understand businesses. And uh, hats off to you too. And thanks for having me on. This is awesome. No, it's our pleasure to get you back on here, man. It's been a while. Yeah, well, definitely, man. Congratulations, Bill. Uh, long time coming. Well deserved. And. Uh, Let's see if you can get her done again, bud. Heck yeah. I appreciate you guys. Go kill it. All right, Bill. Good talking to you, buddy. Take care. See ya. 
Well, Jason, it's always good to hear from Bill, local guy. We know him very well, and, and kudos to him for having a great performance at the Ohio State shoot. Yeah, for sure. But next up, we've got Mr. Radulovich. So mm-hmm. let's let's get right to it. Fasten up your pantyhose. Here we go. The dead pair. All right, proprioceptively joining us from a nuclear reactor somewhere where he's got his car plugged in, former world champion, fresh out of retirement, David Voodoo Radulovich. What's up, Dave? (laughs) That is a hell of an introduction. (laughs) That's pretty good. I'm I'm actually impressed he made that up on the spot. Yeah, right? Well, listen. Yeah, uh, that's that's really good. I like that. When when you deal with David long enough, you just kind of realize, by the way, what's with that haircut? Are we going to change your name to Darla or what? (laughs) <laughs> i told you jason i don't even have time to sleep i don't have time to get my haircut <laughs> i think we just need to next time we find him in a shoot somewhere we're just going to pin him down and get the weed eater out I'd pr- i would freaking pay you to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're starting I look, even tip you well he's, he's a busy guy uh, yeah you're starting to look like your dog bella so but well that's the thing I, it's got you know at least we match yeah oh, there you I may go be crazy but i but i do have a little bit of ocd left in me <laughs> Well, hey, David, listen, we're talking Ohio State Championship, and congratulations on your HOA. Um, Thank you. You know, this is, I mean, people take this lightly that don't know any better, David, and you've won a lot of shoots around the world. Um, What does the Ohio State shoot mean to you? Um, I think, you know, it's, uh, to to say what it means to me, I, I don't know how much that will really relate to anybody uh because it's that's such a personal thing like for me that's that growing up that is the shoot that you know what i mean that was for a long period of my career you know the pinnacle of what i saw you know and not only that but it literally was the first tournament i ever shot at in my life um and so so many of my favorite memories and like heroes in the game that i got to meet when i was a kid uh, come from the Ohio State shoot. Um, and so it means a lot to me um, from a sentimental point of view, but I think the part where more a lot of people can relate to um, in terms of an explanation for it is is the difference. This is going to sound like uh, an ego boost coming from the guy that won it, but <laughs> but I do mean it. Is that it's the difficulty in how hard that shoot is to win. Um, I mean, I made a post about it on Facebook, you know, the, a day or two after the shoot, congratulating Bill uh, for his title there, and um, you know, I said that there have been times in my career where I have been coming home from winning a major championship in quotation marks um and and the following weekend go to the ohio state shoot and lose um and it is just an insanely difficult tournament to win because of the depth of really good talent in ohio and uh, you know you're going to get that when you have a shoot that has a has a you know a participation of 600 people you know i mean it's uh it's it's crazy the amount of good shooters and how good the good shooters are in ohio and it really did mold my career and and if it wasn't for growing up in this area and and well in that area because i'm in a nuclear reactor somewhere uh, (laughs) but (laughs) but if it wasn't for growing up and learning how to shoot there against those guys um 
I don't know if I would be who I am in the sport because I don't know if I would have been challenged as much. Well, David, let me ask you this along those same lines. Um, do you believe the shoot's underrated? Or, or wait, let me stop. Do you think the shoot has been underrated? And then how do you feel the vibe is now after talking with people these days? Um, what do you mean by underrated? Just like, well, you know, everybody thinks of, you know, Texas is the big one and I, and Georgia's number two, we kind of squeak in that number three spot. Um, but I know there's a lot of people that say, you know, they wish they knew about the Ohio shoot uh, shoot sooner, or they come to it sooner. Um, you know, Malcolm and Melanie Parker came up this year for the first time and and gave a lot of praise and and said how impressed they were about it. I'm just curious yeah. if, you know, in your travels, if you've heard people talking about it or obviously it's been growing. I mean, the last couple of years, I think we've been gaining about 10 to 15 percent of participation every year. And it looks like it's going to continue, hopefully. Um, so I'm just curious as to, you know, do you think the shoot's just not as well known as it should be or is it is it gaining some traction? Yeah, I, I OK, so that is a good question. Um, I'd say that, yeah, I think it's vastly underrated. Um, because of a couple things. Number one, it is in, if you look at the uh, density of NSCA members in the United States, you know, you just tend to think that the Texas and the Florida area are the biggest areas. Um, but really it's kind of like the east the northeastern part of the united states um there's just and because the the northeastern part of the united states is is so densely populated with shooters that we don't really have one massive club that everything gets held at we kind of just have a bunch of big clubs that no major shoot can be held at so we never really get you know, any regional championships uh, or U.S. Opens and things like that in, in Ohio. But I mean, heck, an hour to an hour and a half drive from where I grew up, I, I could hit five of the nicest clubs in the United States. And um, the uh, and it's like that all over the place where an hour to an hour and a half drive in Texas, you hit nothing. So I, I think that because of that, a, a lot of the guys on the circuit, so to speak, kind of overlook literally not just the Ohio State shoot, but that whole area in general. And when you have a shoot that has grown so organically over the I mean, I've been going to that shoot now for God dang, 23 years, um, 23, 24 years, um, and I've seen it change so much over that time that what you see is number one we have had going back all the way to where to when i started with uh, a guy named todd kemmerer being the president of the house sporting Clubs association to every person that's that has been afterwards we have just always continuously had such amazing leadership for the osca um, and such a really great board that uh that they've really helped to, to develop the state championship ohio is fairly unique where our state championship is uh, is i believe owned by the board um and so the board is responsible for doing a lot of things and then that really helps the clubs out so it gives us a really good um uh package so to speak to to give to all the people that come to the shoot 
And it's always a consistent experience. Whereas you go to other states and, you know, one year the state shoot is awesome. The next year it's terrible. You're not going to get that in Ohio. Um, And then on top of that, because of such good leadership with the board and then the fantastic uh, GMs and owners of all the clubs in Ohio, the shoot has just grown immeasurably. I mean, probably faster than any other tournament that, uh, you know, you go back five years to now and look at the look at the growth of the House Sporting Clays Association, uh, the House Sporting Clays Championship. It's insane. And so um, I think what is happening is that you're taking a shoot that's not, at, you know, go to the Texas State shoot. There's twelve hundred people there. It, it can only be hold, held at a few places. And there's something to be said about when it gets so big, it can't be nice anymore. And so, you know, I think that's a thing that people see when they come to our state shoot in Ohio, um, which is that, you know, it, it has grassroots from being a smaller shoot. It's held at clubs that are unbelievably nice. And the attention to detail is literally always second to none. I mean, every little piece of that shoot is fantastic. There's nothing left out. And that's not very common for a state championship. I hate to say that, but it is. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I can I can tell you, I mean, personal experience. A couple of years ago, Zach and Desi uh, came to the state shoot amongst uh, along with some other people. I've had Tom C come up. And every time they come, that they, they're like, this is one of the best shoots in the country. And the clubs that, that they go to, that the shoot is held at, and that I take them to for fun, they say the same thing, like, this is a hidden gem. You know, well, it's not a hidden gem for us, you know, right. but for everybody else it is. And it's true. I mean, it, it's um, it's a, it's both an awesome thing, but also kind of a bummer that more people don't know about it. Well, David, talk about your performance through the weekend. Um, were there any struggles along the way? I mean, I know you didn't quite score as well on Saturday on the blue course as you wanted to. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? About the blue course? Well, no, just, I mean, did you have any struggles throughout the weekend in your performance? Yes and no. I'm, I'm working on some new things and trying to kind of learn a whole new approach to the game mentally. Um, and so I, I, I have only started doing that since the regional shoot in uh, Georgia at Big Red Oak. And so my familiarity with what I'm doing in my head is different and it's hard. And uh, so where I struggle is not necessarily on specific targets, but it's on the discipline required to do it uh, in uh, the stuff I'm doing in my head. And so um, the, uh, the state shoot where, where, I mean, I won almost everything. So I, I didn't struggle target wise um but and and it's gonna sound bad if i say i did have problems but i still won Uh, but but everyone does i just happened to have problems i could figure out quickly and that didn't affect my score um but the uh where, where i was struggling was really just um you know it's easier for me to get to a place in my head that i need to in order to win when I don't have such familiar people around me um, because I, I can very easily go into my own space. And uh, I'm a, uh, it sounds weird to say, but I'm a very like empathetic person. 
Um, and so when I'm shooting with people that I've known my whole life or with my family, then because those people are so close to me uh, that I uh, unintuitively or non-consciously am like paying attention to that kind of stuff. And when I'm trying to rework a whole new program in my head, it's hard to stay focused. And with, with that type of distraction, it's not a negative distraction. It just, it, it is a distraction because I, you know, once a year I get to shoot with my family and I really want to do that. Uh, and because I like doing it for that specific purpose only, but when I'm trying to do that and win with a new program, then it becomes hard. So on uh, on Saturday of the blue course, I, I I felt like I couldn't really get in the level of depth that I needed uh, to in my thoughts and my presence, my focus and my attention to what I needed it to be uh, very quickly. And it, it literally took me, I would say, um, the first three or four stations I had it and then I lost it for the middle third of the course and then I finished off pretty good. Good deal. Well, uh, if I can back up just a minute, uh, David. So real quick, if you could pick three main reasons uh, what makes the Ohio State shoot special to you, can you can you list those off? I just didn't want to miss this. Yeah. Special to me specifically? Yeah, special to you. Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, I don't even think there's three reasons. I think it's one reason that's all encompassing. Um, I, I get to shoot with all my friends that have been there for the whole time of my career I mean, it's a, it, I hope the people listening to this don't take what I'm about to say the wrong way, but the people that I became friends with, the, the people that you become friends with in a sport that you eventually become a professional in, um, that when you, when you become friends with them, like the first day that you start, it's a different type of friendship at least because i was like a you know an eight-year-old kid and i'm making friends with these adults and they were mentors to me in the sport and uh and and i have so many memories of you know practicing with them or them picking me up from school to take me to a tournament that my parents couldn't take me to and and things like that and when when the game was different for me they were the people that were helping me play the game and I don't get to see them that often or shoot with them that often because, uh, you know, they, they, none of those guys ever really and women never really travel outside of, you know, the local area. And then when my career progressed and, and it became my job, um, then the friendships that you make are, are through sharing a similar experience and a, a similar passion. And I don't have the memories, the, the nostalgic memories that I have with those other people with, with the people that I've made friends with since then. And so I miss those people because I never get to see them anymore. And I really just thoroughly enjoy getting to catch up with them and see them and shoot with them and then, and then compete alongside of them. And I, I think it's really cool. And, and I, I want to add, that there was a picture of um, that I put up on um, Facebook of myself, uh, Bill Elliott, and Dan Bailey. Uh, and Dan won the fee task. Bill won the Ohio State title, and then I won HOA. And those two guys are two of those people for me. Yeah. Where uh, that that to me is so cool to share a podium with you know a guy that when I first started I looked up to. 
as like, Oh, I want to be like him because I see him winning shoots and winning the snake shoot and, and, you know, uh, and being involved at, at a higher level. And, uh, and Dan, even at that point, you know, when I, when I was like 11 years old and I started beating a lot of the guys that would win local tournaments, a lot of them who were previous role models for me ended up not liking me. And that sucked as a little kid, but Dan was never like that. And, um, and he would, you know, there'd be times when Dan would drive me to Elk Creek in Kentucky to go shoot and, and we would travel around together and, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, sharing a podium with him. And then Bill was like literally one of the first people I ever started to teach and we would practice together. And I mean, the first U.S. Open that I ever won, um, Bill and I met at Hillendale every single day, pretty much for like almost, it seemed like a month straight and would just grind out flats and flats and flats of shells on the skeet field at Hillendale and we'd practice together. And so that it was a, what a cool little culmination of a, of a quarter of a century career to share a podium with those two guys. It was really cool. That That is neat. Yeah. That's very cool. Absolutely. Hey, David, after the Ohio state shoot, you and Chad did a clinic together, Chad Roberts. Um, yeah. For me, this was the second, second time that I got to witness this. And, uh, it's amazing to see the dynamic between you and Chad. Um, even though you have differences in the way you coach, it seems like you guys seem to complement each other in regards to coaching these students that are at this clinic. Can you talk about that just for a second? To, uh, talk about the clinic or, or yeah, uh, I mean, well, that not not only the clinic, but the dynamic that you and Chad seem to have at the at this clinic. Yeah, I think it's cool because, um, so, you know, I, I've taught a lot of clinics with a lot of people. And um, one thing that I really respect about Chad is how seriously that he takes his teaching and, um, and, and how prepared that he always comes to things like that. Uh, there's a lot of people that I've taught with that, you know, just kind of wing it. and. Um, and I don't really like that. Um, and I, I'm personally somebody that, you know, literally in all things in life, I like to be around people that don't think similar to me because I hate feeling like I'm in a cognitive vacuum, so to speak. <laughs> you know, I, I never feel, I never feel like I'm challenged in my ideas or beliefs or, or understanding in things if, if I'd never talking to somebody that, that thinks differently. And, um, so I kind of specifically pick and seek out people to teach clinics with that are that way. And, and so, and Chad is a good example of that. Um, but on top of that, the thing that's cool is, you know, when we do the clinics together, I've, I mean, I've never seen Chad teach by himself without me there obviously that would be impossible but i do know what i am like teaching when chad is not there um and when we do those clinics together we kind of i think really are teaching like 50 percent of our game because we kind of defer the 50 percent that the other person uses like the, the 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 part of the game that is my the foundation for me and what i teach is the only part that I teach in the clinic. And the part of the game that is the foundation of Chad's game and what he teaches is the only part that he teaches in the clinic. 
he would not say that he doesn't feel out shots, so to speak. And I would not say that I don't see lead and think about it in any way. But what we do is I let him do that. I'd let him talk about, you know, he said the phrase in the classroom at Cardinal Center that I, I laughed and I said that would be a great T-shirt. But he said, uh, what do you say? He said, David sciences the brain and I science the game. <laughs> and uh, the uh, and so I, um, I, you know, I I let him go into his explanation of of the science behind lead and calculating those things and 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 understanding what everything should look like. And then he lets me go into the science of the brain and the body and the physiology and what everything should feel like. And I think those two things complement and, and mold really really well together. And it's a lot of fun. Well, that was. Kind of where my next question was going, because I kind of theorized on this, and, and you tell me if I'm right or not, but, you know, I, I I have it as, you know, Chad comes from a very technical background in his coaching, and, you know, you bring out your inner psychologist and asking people how they how a shot made them feel. Uh, mm-hmm. And I chuckled at that, and I'm still chuckling at that, but I understand how, you know, a certain target can create an anxiety or a feeling of amperage or tension and so I feel like this is why your coaching and Chad's coaching kind of complement each other. Am I right? I mean, do you agree with this? Yeah. I mean, um, like I said, when I'm, if I'm teaching a lesson by myself, I don't avoid the things that I let Chad talk about. Uh, I shouldn't say let, it's not like I'm the boss and I'm like, here, you can speak <laughs> only on these topics, Chad. <laughs> if you veer from this, you're fired. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, no, the, um, uh, you know, like I, 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 I cover, you have to cover everything when you're teaching. It doesn't matter what side of the game you come from. You need to communicate it in any, in every way that you can. And the reality of it is, and this is what we talk about in the classroom and why we structure the clinic the way we do is that neuro in neurology, um, there are these two spectrums of awareness. You have interoceptive awareness and extraoceptive awareness. And for those of you that are listening that want to look at stuff, it's it's not intro and extro. It's I N T E R O and E X T E R O. So interoceptive and exteroceptive. Um, there's those two spectrums of awareness. Extraoceptive awareness is essentially your five senses. And it's everything that is, you can think of the EX and extraoceptive as being external to you. Everything outside of you, if your awareness or attention is on those things, then you're more based in, in a level of extraoceptive awareness than interoceptive awareness, which would be everything inside of your skin, your thoughts, your emotions, the feeling and control of your body, um, you know, all of those things. Um, and so the, w- when you talk about shooting and if you understand the neurology and the psychology behind all of that, what's really happening is that both of those things are, are, they need to exist at the same time, but it depends on where your attention is in terms of what you will be more consciously aware of. So that's why always when we're trying to practice to get better and we're trying to change the way we move, we need to be interoceptive so that we can pay attention to the way that our body feels, control our muscles to move differently than what they do when they're on autopilot, and then try to reprogram the brain to move the way that we're trying to learn later on down the road when we don't think about it anymore. 
And uh, but what happens is when we're shooting interoceptively in practice and trying to improve, it's very hard to either number one have as high of a break percentage as you would in a tournament, or if you're if if you don't absolutely choke in tournaments, or number two after you take the shot, know anything about where the gun was. It's hard to do that because neurologically, it's kind of impossible if you're doing the right thing by being fully interoceptive at that moment. Um, and likewise, the other way around, if you were super highly, fully consciously aware of the exact picture of the shot, the lead from start to finish of the whole movement, and you take the shot and I ask you, where was your balance middle of the way through the shot? You're not going to be able to answer that question because your attention and awareness was not on it. So you literally have no conscious processed information on it. So what that means is there's a, there's a give and take and it's not a binary thing. It's not only interoceptively aware or only extra receptively aware. It's a spectrum and you can be anywhere on it. You can be 50, 50, you can be 75, 25, whatever you want to be. And um, so as long as you're consciously deciding to be in that place. Uh, so what that means through the filter of shooting is that you can say, all right, well, this is the extraoceptive definition for how to shoot this shot. And that would involve everything outside of you, hold points, uh, uh, focal points, the line of the target. The, your, if you shoot one way, it would be the, in, the insertion point, uh, the gap, the, uh, your pull away, your, your eventual lead when you pull the trigger, all those things. Then you can say, okay, well, in order to make that happen, and look exactly like I'm trying to define extraoceptively, what would be the interoceptive translation of that, of that picture that I just saw happen, that movie as I shot the shot in my head? And then that's where you get into understanding the movement of the body. And the interesting thing is that there, there are plenty of ways to make a shot look the same way. But, but in order to do it the best way, we only want one way. And so that's why it is really important to pay attention to that interoceptive awareness and paying attention to the way that your body moves and paying attention to the way that you're standing and your balance and your emotional state, because that influences how your eyes work and that influences how your body responds to what you see and all these things. And so um, it's really like, it's not that they're two different approaches. They are two there are two things that are one in the same, but they're complementary to each other because they literally are the same thing. They're just a different perspective on the same thing. The thing that they're a perspective of is the shot. But are, is your attention on your body and movement or is your attention on your gun and the lead? And so we, we need to kind of pay attention and learn both. Um, and so that's why it's cool to have a clinic like that with Chad, because we're, we're not really teaching two different styles. We're teaching one style of shooting, but we're giving you both 
fully encompassed explanations, definitions, and understandings of doing it in that one style of shooting. And that one style of shooting is not a way I'm going to tell you to shoot or Chad is going to tell you to shoot because it's a clinic and we can't change your game in two hours or four hours of shooting. So what we're going to do is we're going to introduce to you everything that you, that, that you can do. We're going to pay attention to your shooting and we're going to, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to convey to you, how to understand both sides of that equation that are happening at the same time. That way you can shorten your path to getting better. And then if you so choose to say, okay, that was really cool. I like the way that Chad taught, or I like the way that David taught, then you can seek one or two, one of us out to go really full in on actually starting to change mechanics and adopt a new style of shooting. Um, if you think that it's worth your time. Um, so, so, okay, David, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, drop this on you here so ever since you found the word proprioception in the dictionary you seem to yeah. build a new career around it. <laughs> Fancy uh, words. yeah uh that being said um don't you believe it's important that someone has some knowledge and experience from a technical side kind of like what chad teaches before they start what you teach i mean you yourself even made the comment to me on a course, uh, you know, as you were running around that um, it's harder for you to work with newer students, be, you know, if they don't have some experience first. Um, so am I making sense what I'm what I'm asking here? I mean, don't you think yeah, someone, it makes total sense. don't you think someone yeah. needs to have a little bit of technical experience and in, in shooting before they come see you? Um, I would say, so the reason why I, I said that it's harder for me to work with newer students is um is uh is because i basically don't ever get newer students i really do have two answers to that question that you have one would be that so if you're going to come take a lesson from me and you've never shot before then you and the reason why i very rarely ever get that is because uh, you know, if you've never shot before, you don't really know who the big players in teaching are. And so what you're going to look for is an organization to understand who you should go to for coaching. Well, the organization would be the NSCA and the NSCA has their instructor program and I'm not in the instructor program. Um, and that's by choice and on purpose. Not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but when you get to the level of coaching that I want to do and that it co-aligns with my level of of ability in the game i don't want to teach you every level every style of shooting i want to teach you the style that uh, of shooting that i believe can take you the furthest because if i'm not going to if i'm not doing that for you then i don't feel like i'm giving you my best i'm not giving you everything i can for the money that you're paying me and i would argue that I, I would hope that every person that teaches at the level that I teach would be able to say the same thing, which is that I'm, you know, I'm not going to teach you all the different styles of shooting. I'm going to teach you however I approach the game, because I believe the way that I approach the game is the best way. And that's why I do it that way. So I want to teach you it. Um, and so the instructor program wouldn't have me doing that. So I don't, uh, I think it's an awesome program, but I, but I don't, I don't want to teach that way, but the, uh, uh, so because of that, I never, people don't know who I am if they just start shooting. 
and then they find out who I am once they've started shooting and then I get them once they've had experience. So what I would say is that if you take a lesson from me and you've never really shot before, then then I would say that it's an awesome idea to do that if you know that you want to stick with the game. I would say that you should go and get more experience from from uh, another style of coaching that is more all encompassing um, if you're if you're unsure on the game, because the way that I'm going to teach you is going to be it's going to not be a a bandaid to get you to hit targets right now. I'm going to build you into somebody who can be really good. And that means it's going to be harder in the beginning and easier at the end. And so that's either the best choice or the worst choice, depending on your approach to the game. But what I would say is that in my full understanding of this, and, it, and I am, would back this up with neurological science and how the brain learns, in, in, in through the filter of neuroplasticity, and that's an un, this is an unarguable perspective of where I'm coming from on this. You don't want to. The best answer to your question would be no. You would want to come to somebody who can teach you movement before they can before you learn any other what what you're categorizing as technical things, because if you are taught first just the visual stuff then you have no you have learned not to pay attention to your body and you have hugely cre you've created a huge problem in trying to progress past that level the only way to get past a certain level of this game in any game is to is to eventually adopt a highly efficient and uh super well-controlled level of movement. You need precision and finesse with the gun. You've never seen anybody in any sport that is one of the best in the world or just really, really good that looks like they're sloppy. Everybody that's good at something, whatever they're doing it, it looks like art, whatever the heck it is. And so you're going to eventually need that level of awareness of your body. And if you've learned to do what you do through an extraceptive filter only, then it becomes incredibly hard to do it through an interoceptive filter because what's happening is you're doing an open loop skill. Shooting is an open loop skill that has, uh, which is a term in, in, in uh, learning essentially that is a physical thing that you're trying to learn how to do. So a movement in your body that has an external result that uh, is dependent on the movement of your body so you do a movement and there is a result and your value in an open loop skill is in the external result a closed loop skill would be the opposite be like something like running as you're running and working on your form use there is no external feedback that happens after you're running it's just you're getting continuous proprioceptive feedback and so in shooting, I do a move, I call pull, I pull the trigger, and the target either breaks or does not break. Well, if everything I've ever learned is purely visual, and I've never learned anything about how to control how I'm making that thing look that way when I pull the trigger, then if I hit it, my brain goes, cool, that's good, let's, let's save that information, and that's how we're going to do that movement all the time. 
if it, if it doesn't break then the brain goes, Hey, that's not good. That's, we didn't get a dopamine spike there. That's not safe that, that, uh, that neurological sequencing of signals to the body and the muscles. And so we'll forget how we just did that. And so, uh, what will happen is that you've now over time through practicing through the technical stuff of what you're talking about, um, you've learned to value the result, not the movement that causes the result. And you've also learned your only filter for understanding whether or not what you did was successful, uh, is solely based on the result of the shot. And it does not only become now a physical challenge to get better at shooting. It becomes a psychological challenge to get better at shooting because you, you, you literally, that's where you actually do need a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. It sounds crazy, but, but, but this is just neurological science and, and how every human being learns a physical skill. And, and that, that you know, I talk, I'll, I'll answer the question, a opposed question, I'll say, in the classroom uh, to the people that come to clinics or when I have students. And I, I say, like, look, I'm not a shooting coach. I, I just teach movement. Because if you master how you're moving your body, you're going to master the game. Shooting is not anything other than moving your body in two dimensions. That's all shooting is. You don't need to learn targets. You need to learn movement because the movement is the thing that's connecting your gun out there in three-dimensional space. And so if you can be efficient and controlled in that, then you'll be good at shooting shooting sporting clays. Well, let me ask you this, David. I mean... With what you're saying, do you feel there's a lot of shooters at the top of the game that are using your proprioception and not really being aware of it? Uh, Every person that has ever shot uses proprioception. Okay, so it's just a a matter of the degree that you use? No, it's, um, I I don't know how this happened, but for, for some reason, I have somehow unwillingly, uh, become the guy I've somehow become the guy that teaches proprioception but that's because it's a misunderstanding of what that word means my mechanics are not proprioceptive uh any conscious movement is the opposite of proprioceptive movement proprioceptive movement is a non-conscious three-dimensional awareness of your body in space and the control and movement of it so to speak so when you're walking you're proprioceptively placing your feet unless you're looking at the ground because you're trying to avoid stepping on something um when you reach into your pocket to get your wallet if you're not if you don't have to you know contort your neck and back to see the back pocket in your jeans to grab your wallet you're grabbing it proprioceptively when you're eating food with a fork that's proprioceptive proprioceptive movement is what happens in shooting once you turn your conscious mechanical movement into a movement that is no longer needing to be conscious and so what i teach in my mechanics is just a a physical setup that mathematically mimics the most efficient way to fake proprioception. And the reason why I do that is because I want to be as efficient as possible in my movement and my setup. And I know from experience that 
the person that wins every tournament, every single tournament that has ever been shot in this game, the guy that won was the guy that shot more shots proprioceptively than anybody else. It doesn't matter what their mechanics are. It doesn't matter if they're swing through, pull away, sustain lead, uh, lead reduction. It doesn't matter what their <laughs> mechanics are. They, if, if they shot proprioceptively more than anybody else, they're going to win. And the reason why I can prove that is because if I can take a shot upside down above my head, there's no good mechanics there. That's purely proprioceptive awareness and connectedness with my body and the gun to where my body has learned, hey, when the gun is in this relationship to the eyes, that we move in this way where we don't change that relationship during the movement, it'll stay where we're looking. So you just need to pull the trigger. And, um, the, uh, you know, like I'll do an example in a lesson where I'll say, look, this is what we're trying to do. I'll take a shot. And I'll explain. Everybody does trick shots to show how looking at the bird is really, really important, but I'll do a trick shot from the hip where I'll say, look, I'll give me just one shell and I'll shoot it from the hip and uh miss it and then i'll explain i'll say i'm gonna do it one more time exactly the way i just did and i want you to see how i'm moving and the way i'm moving is i'm keeping my body still and i'm just moving my hands to have the gun connected to the target then and i'll say look i can shoot all the ammo you have in the golf cart today i will probably hit maybe five percent of these shots and I'll put the gun in the exact same place, but I'll move my whole body as one unit rather than my hands independently from my eyes and body. And then I'll hit it. And I'll say, I can shoot all the shells in the golf cart. Then I'll probably hit 85% of the shots. Because in this way that I'm moving, everything is one piece. It's all connected. And, that's the, and that is how I have learned to be proprioceptive in my movement. The other way is not because my hands are moving differently from my body and my eyes, and I can't feel a connectedness there. Um, and so, you know, the short answer uh, after that long answer to your question is that it, once any person in the game has gotten to a point where they're not consciously moving their gun and body anymore, then they're now shooting proprioceptive. So proprioceptively. So what really what ends up happening, if you're a pull away, I like to use um, like Anthony as an example, uh, 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 as an opposite of me, um, because he teaches, you know, in, in some form or another, an insertion and a pull away, depending on the shot. Anthony becomes proprioceptive the moment he, adds space to his insertion whenever you hear a coach or when anthony will say you know insert at a plus one plus two or plus three and then let your hands take over push out and pull the trigger the moment you let the hands take over and engage in what he would call hard focus you're now shooting proprioceptively i just make it to where my proprioceptive movement starts when i call pull um, I, and so that, that's the big difference. And, and th that's actually a really interesting topic in itself too, in terms of why somebody like him would say that you need a hard focus and a soft focus. And why somebody like me would say that there's no such thing as a soft focus. Um, but neither of us are wrong in that. Uh, and that's a long explanation and I can go into that another time or now if you want, but it's, uh, it's totally solely dependent on your mechanical approach to the game. Yeah, we'll save that one for another time. Um, yeah. 
that's that's I can see that going down a big rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) So I got one last question for you, David, and this is something I guarantee you've never been asked on a podcast before. Sure. (laughs) Um, Of all your students, which one are you most proud of? And this is not necessarily by what they have won, but what they have accomplished with themselves as a shooter. Hmm. This must be a good question, Sean, because I just stumped him. He's silent. You can hear the uh, you hear the gerbils running around on the wheel back there. Yeah, yeah. You can hear the <laughs> the timer clock ticking. That's back. a hard. That is a hard question because. Um, Look, David, I know you well enough that you're proud of all your students. Okay, but I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, I know the um, the reason why that's a hard question is not necessarily because I can't pick somebody. It's because of my ADHD, uh, which is is basically the reason why it's hard is because I kind of like compartmentalize every person in my head as it's almost like uncomparable. Um, But I would say, dang, you don't have to name a name either. I mean, if you want to just give us a broad stroke. No, I I, I don't have a problem doing that. I I would say. I, you know, and I was just talking to him before I talked to you guys. I would say probably the person that I can't say the most proud because it's all in the, when someone has ADHD, everything is like so compartmentalized, not in a sense of time. And so it's always like these individual things. But I, there's a thing that um, and you guys know Curtis Dunbar, um, but he over the last couple of years um that i've been working with him the reason why i'm so proud of what he's been doing is that he's he has been working so hard in so many different things uh, revolved around shooting like getting his uh you know his his health in order and work it literally in a I can't really go because he's a student and it's private information. It's just, you know, like a, it's a, it's like a, uh, just a whole encompassing change to his whole life. And I think that it's, um, it's not easy stuff. And it's, it's the kind of thing that you only do when you're really, really passionate about something. Um, and, uh, and that's really, really cool. But, but the, but the other thing is that there are so many different examples in, in things that I could name from, from other people. But I, there's one thing I do need to say that's important. And that's that um, I literally was having this conversation with Wendell Cherry uh, two nights ago at dinner. And we were talking about coaching. And we, and we were talking about all our different students. And, but I asked him um, essentially well, a thing that I like to do a lot. I said, what do you think is, is like your biggest failure as a coach and uh, then and then i offered up what mine was and and i said i was like the reason why i asked you that question is because i think that the way that you and i were um when i was a little kid was lit was literally perfect because um both of us even to this day we can go literally a year and we have just recently gone uh, almost nine months, never having talked to each other one time and then not even realizing that it's been anything more than a few days. 
And, um, and it was like that when I was a little kid. And the only time I ever talked to Wendell was when I was in a lesson with him or when I was done shooting a whole tournament with him, we, we literally would not talk. And I never had constant communication with him as a kid. And for me, I, I told him that uh, I was, I said, I can't explain to you how valuable that was to me because it forced me to like, I learned everything. I took everything that you said in an, an insanely high level of value and importance. And I worked on it and I worked on it and I worked on it by myself. And then I would come back for more. And then I would come back, come to shoot with you. So we could test what I was working on in a tournament. And it would be, that was, those would be my tests in school, so to speak. And then the lessons were the homework. And in between, I messed up so many times. And in all the tournaments that we shot together, you never prevented me from failing anything. You let me learn everything on my own. And um, that was so valuable to me because it may have hurt me then, but it's still helping me now. And we got on this long tangent about that topic of, of, and style of coaching. And we both firmly believe that if you want to build somebody into a world champion, you need to coach them like that. You can't hold their hand. And, um, and so what, what that conversation led to was us talking about how there are so many instances that as a coach, when you get, when you are the most proud of your student, it is literally, I have literally, and, and it was one of what my, I said that I, my failure would be to somebody who would want this from me that I can't give them. I'm, I don't get proud of when they win. I get proud of, of major learning moments that come from failure, like really bad failure. And when they can by themselves figure something out, make a change, or even assess the situation, understand there was a problem, try to make the change, and then the change is a, is a failure. But they realize it was a failure and they try something again. To me, that's where, uh, like, and uh, I, I actually, like, uh, I'm getting, like, goosebumps thinking of a few different scenarios of, of students doing this. That's where I get really, really proud because I, I think those moments in the in the journey of becoming and accomplishing whatever it is that you want to in this game, those are the most important. They were the most important to me. They're the most important to any of the people that I talk to that I have to be to take home a check. And I think they're way often overlooked because I think people only really celebrate their wins. That's well said. I mean, makes sense. I, Jason? I'm just processing everything you just said. I know. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot. <laughs> the long story short of it is, uh, oh, this is really cool, and, I, and it goes exactly in line with what I just said. Um, and I think that your listeners need to hear this. Um, there is so much. You said ever since I read the word proprioception in the dictionary, I've learned <laughs> Come on now, man. That was funny. <laughs> it's so true. And then the uh, because what happened was I, I realized, oh, man, there's a scientific, neurological, psychological, physiological, biological uh, explanation for shooting. And that sent me down a crazy rabbit hole because my background is math and science. And I like that. And I think that way. And so 
it's amazing the scientific research that's been done that can be directly applied to shooting because really if you look at shooting as just learning physical movement and the skill and everything else that comes along with it and all the human biology of everything that's happening while you're trying to compete it's amazing what you can learn that's already been researched that you would never think has is would be valuable to look up if you just look at shooting through the filter of sporting clays um but there is so much scientific research that proves that a i won't go into the full explanation of what neuroplasticity is and all this other things but but i'll just say it's essentially responsible for forcing stuff to happen in your brain so that you learn and you change as a kid it happens without us even realizing because we have developmental neuroplasticity and we soak up information and this is why you you give a kid a soccer ball and in three weeks he looks like he's on pace to end up playing in the mls um but it, you give an adult a soccer ball and five years later they're still going to try to kick it and possibly fall over and uh, because once you get to the age of about 25 to 30, your brain no longer can learn the same way. And you have to learn consciously, whereas a kid does not. And so 90 some percent of the people listening to this podcast are probably going to be adults. And 90 some percent of the people that play this game are adults. So when they're looking at trying to get better, this is this is quite possibly one of the most important things that they can ever hear. And that is that a requirement to learning sometimes for most people forces a byproduct of frustration, uncomfortable emotions and anger. And so if you do not let yourself get frustrated while you're practicing or every time that you start to fail, that instead of just keep pushing through it, and no matter how long it takes, get through it eventually at the other end of, this, of, of the equation. If you go away, if you just turn away, if you get to a station, you suck on it, like, oh, this is a waste of my time and shells. I'm going to go on to something I can hit. If, if you do that, you literally will never change. You will never learn anything because the, literally the stuff that happens in your brain releases hormones and neurotransmitters and all these things that that cause the emotion of frustration and anger and and it's being uncomfortable that forces your brain to say hey we don't like this we need to change something and it keeps trying to change something until that feeling goes away and so the uh uh th that's probably why i feel that way about like being proud about things because it makes me you know, I, I literally I'm now that I say this, I'm going to blow my cover and, my, and I don't want any of my students to fake it. But I smile behind my students backs when they get when they get frustrated in a lesson. And uh, and then I smile even more when me having the filter of the time that they're paying to have me with them uh, say, hey, let's move on and we can come back or I can tell you how to work on this in practice. And they almost get frustrated with me for, for even suggesting that. I'd be like, no, I want to stay. I love that. And that, it's literally a moment like that that I get proud of uh, to see happen in somebody because I know that that person has the approach or the personality to actually be able to, you know, to, to go places. Cool. 
Well, Jace, or, I mean, <laughs> Jason, David, I mean, we could go on here forever, but unfortunately we're kind of pushing the time limit on this one. Um, yeah. It has been always a, a pleasure to have you on, David, and uh, glad you were able to make some time for us. Um, you know, overall, proud of you. Proud of you winning the Ohio State. Um, you know, proud that you were able to come back home and see some of your your mentors and your friends. Um, I mean, it's just great to have you on here, and you know, we wish you nothing but the best as you keep moving forward, and hopefully, uh, you keep coaching and teaching and keeping uh, the sport alive because that's that's what we're here for. Yeah, thank you guys. I, I appreciate that, and um, yeah, I want to say that um, I just uh, I, I so first off, thanks for having me on, and thank you for saying that. Uh, but um, you know, I, I would say going along with our, what are you proud of? I, you know, I, I'm I'm proud of how much you guys have committed to this venture of the Dead Pair Podcast and how seriously you take it and how much of a difference that you're making in our sport, because I mean, uh, you guys don't get the opportunity to, to be in front of as many people in this game as I do. Um, because it's my job to do that. And I can't tell you, there is not a lesson that I have that doesn't where something about your podcast or an interview that I did on your podcast or some other thing does not come up. <laughs> and, and the, uh, I mean, the impact that you're having on the game is really cool. And the, uh, you know, I mean, the impact that you're ha- literally on, you know, shooting tournaments and participation on sh- of shooting tournaments and people trying out the sport. I literally got an email. I'll, I'll forward it to you. If I remember, that's the big thing. If I remember, I'll forward it to you. I got an email uh, from a guy that took a lesson for me, signed up for a lesson for me. He'd never, I don't know how he found your podcast, but he'd never shot before. He'd found your podcast, listened to him. Like, I don't know what this game is. It sounds cool. And so then he signed up for a lesson with me from it for his, and he saved his first time ever shooting to be for that lesson. So he'd never shot before ever. Um, wow. And so you're, in, you're introducing people to the sport because of what you do and you're growing the sport and it's not freaking easy. Take it from somebody who's been a part of three or four podcasts or, you know, anybody listening, don't take what, what Sean and Jason do for granted. It is so much work, especially to do it as a second job. You guys <laughs> yeah. do a lot of work. You do a lot of work and it's really not easy. And it's, and it's a big thing to take on. And, uh, but it, and, and you, you will, I will tell you right now, you will never get paid back for the work that you're doing. You're, you're not, it's, there's not enough money in it to, to get the value out that you give. Um, and so it has to be a, a, passion project and um you know so i so thank you guys because um you know it, it you're you're making a difference in the sport and you're just cool guys to have around and you're great personalities because you know <laughs> you're the kind of people that when people don't know you and they see you they immediately give you shit. so you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> yes you know they do you're doing something right yeah, yes right? they do yeah. Well, that was very nice of you to say that, David. Thank yeah, we, you so much. Yeah. Greatly appreciate that, yeah, David. Uh, we really yeah. do. Um, shame you couldn't make it in the studio. I, I understand the, the GPS had a glitch in your Tesla there. So, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, the tra- traffic was miserable, man. God I know. Um, we will get you back in here eventually. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe here soon. Um, are we, uh, 
crazy one last crazy question for you are we going to see you actually put forth an effort this year at the national championship i mean we are we possibly going to see david close to that podium this year yeah i you're not going to believe this because i am almost not even in belief of this but you actually practiced no the uh actually no not yet but uh don't don't start uh, don't start talking crazy jason just stop just stop yeah i'm sorry i I, I really was i I was in shape to win the shoot uh in chicago um i I have never been shooting better in my life I, i need to actually say this because of how many people it affects i did it took me until sunday four station five stations into my round to realize i, I was shooting so bad guys i i, I mean I, I was nowhere near winning anything um but the uh and it made no sense to me because i felt like i was doing everything right and i'm at the level of which when i miss and uh, uh, like i know what was wrong and if every time, literally every time I was missing, I knew I did everything the way that I wanted to do it. And I also knew that I was planning as good as I had ever done before. And I also know that those are my favorite types of targets to shoot. So there was no reason for me to be shooting as bad as I did. I got five stations through my final round on Sunday. And I realized how bad of I, I could not breathe out of my right nose. And there's this thing that you do with people th- to test uh, ocular misalignment. It's called the cover test. And there's all these other things. But basically, I'm sitting in my golf cart five stations into the round. And I do a cover test on myself. And I'm feeling my eyes move. And then I did this other thing that you can you know, see when your vision goes to double vision. And I'm like, my God, I literally have some bad of allergies that my right sinus is uh, uh, like my eyes are not connected my right eye was like misaligned from my left the thing that's happened to me throughout my the last couple of years i sprayed stuff into my nose it's a vasodilator basically and uh, and immediately in 10 minutes i ran the next 10 stations wow. uh, way harder stations wow and um yeah and I, and the reason why i'm saying that is not to give an excuse for why i suck because i sucked and that's all that matters is that i didn't win um, but so that people understand that, cause I, I had a lesson with a guy on Monday that was extremely discouraged, uh, about his shooting. It was the first time I had a lesson with him and he was like, you know, I, I've got all these, I just can't seem to put together a consistent round. And, um, I, I kind of get that every once in a while from people that come to me because, you know, they hear me on a podcast or something and they, uh, you know, they go, oh, last ditch effort, go to the guy that says fancy words. He might understand how to fix me. And, um, <laughs> that's a marketing and angle. So, yeah. yeah, it's that's the whole plan. I want all the guys that are damaged, basically. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> that's why I'm such a good therapist, Jason. Oh, the, my uh, gosh. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I can't tell you how many times I get somebody that's coming to me for a lesson to try to fix their mechanics because of feelings helpless but i'm telling you right now that i felt helpless the last three days and if i didn't know as much as i knew about shooting it would make me want to quit but it had nothing to do with my shooting and there are so many types of things that can happen to people like that 
that will directly influence your scores. And, and, and it's so hard to understand why we we're struggling and what's causing all these misses and, and things like that. And the, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, going back to the original question about nationals, like I, I really, I'm ready to go now. I just had a crazy thing happen to me. I tested it out again for sure. And the, every day I didn't take any uh, stuff for my nose going to teach the next couple of days there. And every time I got out to the sporting place courses where all those flowers are, I can't even figure out which one it is, but I, same thing would happen. But like come nationals, as long as I don't have these mysterious flowers there, I'm still holding to what I said <laughs> in my interview in my interview last year, which was that I plan on winning this one uh, because I, I have been working really hard. I've been MIA, but that's been on purpose because I've been going to shoots that I purposefully don't get excited about because previously that was my only way to win. And I've been trying to work on things to learn how to to flip a switch and be competitive. And it's working. And and it even though I sucked, I still had everything I needed to this past weekend. So I think it'll be good. And the good thing is that the more days I have to compete, the better I'm going to do because, uh, you know, I, I, I have now found consistency in the way that I can approach it. And I've never had that before. So uh, I'll stick by that. Cool. Well, well, David, we look forward to seeing you at nationals. Uh, sounds yeah. like sounds like Hopefully beforehand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Are you guys going to Louisiana? No, no, no can't. Okay, um, neither one of us can. We're both tied up and busy. Um, but yeah, who we'll tied s- you up? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> wife, child, mother, J O B. Yeah, J O B. So, um. Well, as always, David, it's been a, a hoot. And uh, again, yeah. sorry you couldn't make it into studio, but uh, yeah, sorry guys. No, you know, I apologize, not you. No, it's okay. Next time, there's always next time, and uh, and we will definitely be seeing you down at nationals this year. Perfect. That sounds like a plan to me. All, All right. right, buddy. Well, uh, have a good one. Be safe. Um, and don't forget to feed your dog um, while you're charging <laughs> your car, and uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, give Bella a scratch for us. Will do, guys. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you. Yep. Bye. Well, Jason, uh, two Ohio boys. I know David's a transplant at this point, but yeah. uh, but definitely two guys to look up to, and, and they did perform very well at the Ohio State shoot among, amongst all that pressure. Yeah. You know, I don't want anybody to think we're biased, you know, could a couple Ohio boys. Well, I mean, we, we are. Boys, okay. But- hey, we are. We are. And, and you know... It's nice, but hey, listen, it's the third largest state shoot in the country. It's got some, it's got some precedence to it. Right? It is, and you know, David with his reputation and his history, obviously, kudos to him for winning it. Yeah. But number two, really super proud of Bill. I mean, he's definitely been putting the work in for the last couple of years, and I think it was well deserved. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, almost six hundred shooters there—that's a big accomplishment. That is a big so. accomplishment, uh, considering the Western Regional at the same time drew like five eighty. Yeah. And we were like five sixty-five, so right. that's that says something. Absolutely. Um, this is what, this is why we tell people every week what we tell them, Sean Alley. Yeah. Take somebody out shooting, get a gun in their hand, introduce them to this sport, show them what kind of fun they can have. I mean, it, you don't have to try hard. Just make them go out there and break a few clay targets <laughs> and that's over. It's yeah. done. It's done. Exactly. And then of course, make sure you visit our sponsors. Uh, they're all listed right down in the show description with links to their websites. Um, of course on Instagram, we tag all their social media, um, get a hold of them. Check them out. If you're not already using their products, if you're using a, a competitor's product, 
at least give them a chance. Yep. You know, see what they're all about. Meet the people behind them that we brag so much about. These are really, truly great people behind the products. Almost 100% American-made products across the board now, Sean. Yeah, and they're going to work hard to earn your business. Absolutely. Uh, get signed up for your favorite tournament on Score Chaser and Sean Alley. Until next week. We will see you all back here on the Dead Pair Podcast. We'll see you next time on the Dead Pair Podcast. The Dead Pair. The Dead Pair Podcast is brought to you by Elite Shotguns and Vero Beach Clay Shooting and is fueled by Fioki USA. The Dead Pair theme song was written, arranged, and produced by Toby Tomplay. Special thanks to the following sponsors. Bear Pelt, Rhino, Odo Pro, Dawn Grant, Atlas Trap Company, RE Ranger, and White Flyer Targets. 